podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Blue Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair with three guests. We've got a view from a blue, Stephen Allwise. Hello, good evening. We've got Steve Cox. Hello. And I think on his anniversary, he was telling me before, Paul Denby. Good evening, everyone. What sort of anniversary are we talking about? An anniversary of one year since I first did a podcast that you invited me along. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you back again. Uh, so we lost to Burnley and we exited the Champions League. Not the best week for all City fans, but then we beat a West Brom team with little to play for. So, should we start with West Brom, Stephen? In a sense, it's, there's not too much to say about it. It was one of the most straightforward wins that we'll have all season, helped enormously by the first-minute red card for West Brom, and after that, the, game, the pattern of the game was set out because there was no chance of them going forward. They then played initially for the point, and then once we got the goal, they played for damage limitation, and it was all about patience and having that creativity to break through. And once we got one, we were always going to win. And it was a question of how many. But we only got three and we should add about nine. We only scored three, but we only needed to win. The goal difference doesn't make that much difference. Yes, they'd keep made two or three good saves. Aguero didn't quite have his shooting boots on. Um, but 3-0 was about right. I mean, we had 80% possession. Um, their keeper made saves, as I said. They blocked, they defended as well as they could. Could have been four. They could have scored as well, remember. They had the one that hit the bar. So 3-0 could have been four or five, but it doesn't matter. You were saying, I was saying Jolie and Lescott, clearly in their side, must have made a huge difference. Could have been nine without him, of course. Um, but you reckon it was their keeper or something, Steve? Oh, I, th- was... I think their keeper had an awesome game, to be fair. He, he saved any, more or less anything that was actually put at him. I think the stuff that he didn't save was way out of his sort of zone, shall we say. But he made a couple of really good dives great performance for him but I thought we played well can we go back to the sending off then that, that mm-hmm. Stephen referred to um, sending off first of all before we yeah, talk so about was the right I suppose player. you're going to defend the referee's ability to see the difference between 23 and 25 well you answer my question first <laughs> and I'll, then, then I'll defend anything you want me to defend so my question is first of all sending off Absolutely. straightforward it, it was a straightforward sending off yes Yeah. Not, not, was he going towards goal was it the last defender he was, was going, it, he was going towards goal he was the last defender yes definitely a bit, bit, of, bit of distance between him and the goal I think when you've got an international striker of that class, I think you could have expected him to have finished from there. So the ref got it right then? Yes, the ref got that part of it right, absolutely. From then it all went a bit... It went a bit pear-shaped, didn't it, really? Mm, just a bit. And typically, like a football ref, he didn't want to listen to the players who were saying, uh, it's not the right man you're sending off there. Yeah, but players say that all the time, don't they? They come up and say, it wasn't a foul ref, or I didn't handball it, hit me up here, or not, it wasn't my arm. If you listen to refs every week, then... Yeah, I know, but... Sometimes if somebody's saying, it's me, it's me, I did it. No, I don't think that was, that was the case. But I think really the ref should be expected to be able to tell the difference between 23 and 25. So Neil Swarbrick then, good mate of yours? I don't know him personally. I thought at first when he made the decision, I thought he did really well at first. He didn't pull out his red card in instantly. He thought about it for about yeah. five seconds though. Maybe that's what cost him making the error. I'm being a bit defensive of him. I thought he did really well until he got the wrong player because he didn't jump to it like some referees red card is out before they've even stopped moving. He thought about it but then clearly made a mistake. 
He's man enough to afterwards, he's actually admitted he made a mistake, which is really good yeah, because yeah. now the right player serves a suspension. West Brom were reduced to 10 men, which was the right decision as well. So all in all, it's not such a catastrophic decision. It, he made an error, end of it. I'd agree with all of that. I think the ref's mistake was going initially to the point of the free kick and making a note that it was outside the box, so he had to signal where the free kick would be taken from. And by the time he'd done that and got players away from him, then he, whether he got it wrong in the first place or then he got confused, he's obviously sent off the wrong player. I have sympathy with him um, because, as with was it Arsenal when it was Gibbs and Oxlade-Chamberlain, it's very easy to confuse players when they're that... And 23 and 25, and people will say, well, he should look at the number on the shirt or he should know them. It is hard because we get all the replays in the world on TV and you'll have pundits dissecting it for half an hour after the game. The ref has a split second. um, And it's easy to say now that it was a terrible decision and he got the wrong man. And it was, but I do have sympathy with Mm. him at the same time. That's a very balanced approach for my colleagues tonight on the podcast. I'm, I'm most encouraged, gentlemen. All right, Swarbrick's a tosser. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he's, he's got to be commended for coming out afterwards and saying that he made a mistake. I think at the end of the day, you should, under those circumstances, you ought to cough up to it, really. Yeah, but I think you made the point, Stephen, already. You know, you think you're so many different things. You know, is it, is it in the penalty area, number one? He's looking across to his linesman. Is he going to flag for an offside? You know, you know is, it a fact, is he the last man? You think he's so many different things. And it was quite obvious, actually, when, when, again, at the ground, I was at the other end. I didn't even see, you know, actually, I couldn't even see which card it was. It was the cheer from the crowd. I realised it was a red card that had come out. So it's really, I think he's, he's got so many things to think about. He's got three other linesmen out there with him you know sometimes you do question if they, are they looking at other things as well could they have helped him? they're all wired up to each other but clearly they they didn't see it either and they, they couldn't help him either particularly which is a bit of a shame i think also part of the issue was that there were two challenges yeah and the first one and credit to boney who got up after the first challenge to try and carry on but there was a similar incident with sunderland and wes brown and john o'shea a few weeks ago when i think it was o'shea put in the first challenge which was the red card offence and then the player got up and Wes Brown put in the second challenge and the ref sent off Wes Brown now he said after the game that it was because he thought Wes Brown's challenge was the red card his mind he made the correct decision to send off Wes Brown as opposed to sending off the wrong player so whether the two linesmen thought that you know the ref did think it was the second challenge which merited the red card I don't know uh, I know what the ref said on that. I can't remember who the referee was on that game. I think that's uh, what he said at the time, was just trying to defend his position. I think he, in hindsight, he knew he'd made a mistake, but didn't want to admit he'd made a mistake, and therefore took the defensive point that it was Wes Brown who'd committed the offence, therefore I'm going to stick with what I said. And effectively, he saved John O'Shea from a three-match ban, because it got o- effectively got overturned, Wes Brown got off, and John O'Shea didn't get a three-match ban because of it, which is ridiculous, really. But that's life. Uh, but talking of Boney then, he got up and uh, scored his first goal. I have to say, it was at the end where I was. And that, just the first touch, but actually, I thought the finish was brilliant. You know, he kind of side-footed into it. would have very, very, very easily yeah. to sort of blast that over the bar. He hasn't scored for City. He could have snatched at it. But actually, it was, showed real control and poise and, and real skill, I think, Steve. It was a, I, I was a brilliant it, goal. It, it was a fantastic goal. I, I also have to commend the officials because when I first saw that, it looked as though he might be offside. The replay then showed that there was a West Brom player actually playing him onside, so the officials got that right as well, because I think the arms went up for, for offside. But, yeah, very, very cool finish.
finish and sort of put that somewhere where the goalkeeper wasn't going to get anywhere near it. I think he needed that as well because I don't think he's played badly for City but when there is pressure on him and especially as a striker coming midway through the season you do just want that first goal to settle you down and I'm not sure he's this world-class striker that will win the Champions League for us but I do think he's an improvement on Dzeko and I think his qualities are clear to see. You look at the size of him and the way that he backs into defenders and can hold up the ball and that's all very well and good but you do need the goals. He and spots, so it'll, spots it'll, a pass well as well I think from what I saw on yeah, Saturday. I think he's, he's got really a very did. good touch. Yes, yeah. I think he grew in confidence as well. I mean he took yeah. the goal brilliantly but I think I think it's fair to say that you know his confidence grew, and uh, yeah, one of the papers I read right he was our man of the match. I'm not yeah, sure about that. I think that, he, had, he, had a he had a really, really good game. He, um, he took his goal fantastically, as we've all said, and he chased around quite a bit as well, put in a good effort. His passing was good, and it's a confidence builder. I'm with you. I don't think he's going to be a, a top player in, in European terms, but he is an improvement on Jekyll without a doubt. And I think it, you know maybe we're going to talk about players to be released in the summer. My mind. I've got a list of who should go, but I think Boney is a is a good addition to this squad. Uh, and then another, did we score from a corner, gentlemen? I need to work. Did we score? I think there were four. I'd, loosely speaking, I don't, ish. Oh, I don't Although think there were two effectively, because of the first two goals were just indirectly results of corners and the next phase of the game. I'm talking about Fernand, it, Fernando's goal. I'm talking about in particular. Oh, I, I'm going with no. I'm going. It was, it was like four touches. I, it's not. It's not. Corner, bang, you know, header, far post, get in there, is it? It was three or four touches before it was... Sorry, I'm going no. So you're going for the record if we can go... I don't know how we're up to now, 240 or something for what Stuart keeps count of. If Stuart, Bro- if Stuart Brockham was here, we would know the number exactly. Yeah, and he'd tell us the, the odds as well on exactly what the odds yeah, are. So of, you're going for the record. You're hoping we get up to 500. Well, it's definitely a no from me. I agree with everything that you said, Nigel. <laughs> I think it's a no because for me, scoring from a corner is the first header. Exactly. Can it be yeah. the first header down and somebody putting it in? I mean, for future reference, yes. just in case that happens. I'll go with that. Yes. But it was more than that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, this one was. It, it, yeah. was a, it was a failed clearance by two players, I think. Exactly. That's and I think I a couple saying. of defenders touched yeah. it as well. Even the keeper moment before right. Fernando yeah. slid in and poked it home and, and went down the, on his knees. Is that his goal celebration? Is it? What he does is he goes on his knees, does he? Is that, that doesn't it? score too many. He scores it's, against West Brom regularly now. That's his second this season against West Brom. And did he go down on his knees I last time? I can't remember. I'd have to go back and see it on the City website. If you can let us know, please. Yeah. But you know, there's, uh, I know Pulis was uh, a bit upset about it and I do think he has a point. Mangala's foot was awfully high for that one. I thought the referee could have given them a free kick. He, he was at least at head height when he played that ball down. So... Anyway, who yeah, cares? We're supporting the referees, I think. Steve's done a great job in saying what a great job the officials have done. So we're going to support them. Yeah, spot on decision then. Well done then. Um, and then Silva from uh, Jovetic, you can't hit a barn door. So good job Silva was there to just sort of uh, poke it home. Yeah, that was going a little bit wide, I think. Silva did a very good job. I thought Silva had an excellent game. He ran that game brilliantly, actually, all the whilst he was on, on that pitch. I mean, he, he came off about 10, 15 minutes to go, didn't he? But he had an f- absolutely fantastic game. I think without Silva, I don't think we would have uh, put in such an accomplished performance. He really held, held the ball up very well, and he, he sort of, the, the pace of the passing seemed quicker than it has been in recent weeks. I think that seemed, that seemed to be quite evident to me. It wasn't, wasn't quite as slow and laboured. Every now and again, we seem to go back into a slow laboured build-up, but there were points in that game where we moved the ball incredibly quickly, and I think West Brom were chasing shadows at times. I agree. I think it's hard as well against a team that will just defend the edge of the area with everyone behind the ball because there's no space in behind for yeah. Aguero and for Navas. You can't use their pace. And, you know, you can get crosses into the box 
from out wide, but then there'll be so many defenders in there. Yeah. So you look towards Silva, especially when Yaya's not playing and Nasri's not playing. You look towards him to create. And you know it doesn't matter, in a sense, if four passes through the defence don't find their way, because the fifth will. Yeah. And they're posing no threat to us. So, yeah, I think Silva had a good game. He's the one player you'd want in that situation. I think Lampard had a good game as well, actually. I think he helped to steady things up in midfield, and, and I think he kept everybody's head on their shoulders. No, so I think he missed a two or three good opportunities as well. He may, might, be, <laughs> might have been good in some parts, but he had two or three. One that went terribly wide from a, a decent opportunity. I wasn't, I wasn't looking at him as a scorer, though, Paul. I was looking I at know. him more as actually a playmaker. It, it, I thought, it, it, actually, it, as a playmaker, yeah. I thought he did very, very well. I'll, I'll go with you, that, Steve. As a playmaker, he did well. With his shooting boots on, he was pretty poor, though. Mr Lampard, you're shaking your head there. No, I'm, I think he had a decent game. I think he's been underused. It was something like his yeah. seventh start in all competitions and first start since December, something like that. Now, he, he obviously wasn't brought in to start every game, but he's useful. He's not box-to-box box by any means, but he does have this knack of gliding into the box and and finishing or having the opportunities. Now, he didn't score and he could have done, but I think he's a useful player because he's someone who can get you a goal from very little but instead who would you be playing instead of though all those games that he, he who would he have started instead of I've not been convinced by Fernando in central midfield I think there's times especially when Yaya was away when we could have played Lampard and Fernandinho together and just given Lampard that freedom to go forward he is probably best off the bench though which is where he's been used to some extent uh, exciting day for me uh, on Saturday, as don't you roll your eyes and put your microphones down? Uh, for the listeners will be interested, I'm sure. That I've got. They the... won't. Well, well. I, listen, if you're not interested in the greatest player ever to wear a Manchester City shirt, uh, and I was oh, very, I was George Samaras. Uh, we we could have that debate if you like. And a little Morrison. bit harsh on Bernardo Karadi. <laughs> <laughs> One of my all-time favourites, Karadi. Great celebrations. Listen, uh, you all know what I'm talking about. I, I had the great pleasure of meeting Colin Bell. Um, on Saturday uh, in the Colin Bell stand which was a great thrill and I was with uh, a friend of the show Roger Reed, who's been on a number of times and those of you still with your match programme uh, page 60 to 63 um, has got a little like 62 rather has got a, a nice article about uh, our mate Roger and his 30 odd years in football and uh, it did mean that we, uh, we met King Colin which was a great thrill and a pleasure for me um, so we were talking before the show um, about greatest player Seriously, greatest player to wear a sky blue shirt. And uh, I think if Stuart was here, we'd both share our father's view of Peter Doherty, of course, who got in the Irish squad um, when we did the City Irish team on St. Patrick's Day a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm going Colin Bell. You, young man, who never even saw Colin Bell wear a Man City shirt, you wouldn't agree with me. You're going with a more modern... Well, I would, because with all due respect, I think I bring the age down considerably in this room. So I've never seen Colin Bell. For me, out of the modern set of players, it would be David Silva. Some, growing up, someone like Sean Gota was a hero. Um, played, he's played most of his games in Division 3. Well, exactly. So you look at the quality of the player. And Aguero, if he had maybe another three, four seasons at City. But for me, Silva is the best that I've ever seen in a City shirt. Now, you saw them both, of course. You're able to comment here. So you've seen Silva, and I know you're a big Silva fan. But you must be a Colin Bell fan as well. Oh, yeah, they're both fantastic players. And I would just, at the moment, I'd go for Bell on the basis that he was there from 66-ish, 65, 66, 
and that's when I first started going to see City. I am that old. Um, up until his injury, Martin Buchan, 75. So he played for City for nine or ten seasons, and Silver's done brilliantly, but he's only been there, what, about four seasons? If Silver's there for another six seasons, we might have a David Silver stand at one point. At the moment, there is only one stand named after a player, Colin Bell, and there is a reason for that. Uh, I love watching Silver. The way he jinks and turns is just fantastic. But Bell, goal scorer, he could head a ball, he could shoot, he could run, the energy, he could tackle, he could do everything. And for me, it's, it's still Bell. And of course, Nijinsky was his nickname because he could run all day after the, 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 the famous uh, horse, yeah. the racehorse. Uh, you're too young to remember Colin Bell, of course, Steve. I'm not too young to remember <laughs> Colin Bell. I know um, that. I just thought I'd give an opportunity to say I that. would say that Colin Bell was a truly great player. But I'm very torn between mm. Colin Bell and David Silver, Oof. to be fair. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, you could even throw a little bit of Georgie King Clarty in there as well. But no, no being serious now, um, I, I think that David Silver of the modern age, I have to agree with Stephen, is probably the best player that we've had in the last 20 years or so. However, prior to that, I would say Colin Bell was absolutely awesome. And I, I, they're both for different reasons, I think that's the thing. Yeah. Both very good players. Uh, two other players I saw when I was there, just to sort of throw a few other notes. Mr. Tony Book was there as well. He wandered past as well. Of course, the great captain of that uh, late 60s and early 70s, raised, you know, lifted every single trophy going around those times. Yeah, Football of the Year 1968 League Championship. With? Dave Mackay. Who died a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Joint yeah. it was. Joint wasn't it, it was. I think it's the only time it's ever been jointly won, I think, yeah. in those days, yeah. All right, this is, uh, you're glazing over here, Stephen, all these names from the past here, as if you know, you've sort of lost a bit of interest here, I think. No, not at all, tinged with you've, sadness you've, that you've... I haven't had the opportunity to see them play. Yeah, indeed. You've, you've known the names, though. These are names that will be sort of... Uh... Of course. <laughs> Excellent. You, you said two. Who, who was the other one? Uh, Tom, sorry, Tommy Booth was the other oh. one I saw as well. Sorry, quite right. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, Tommy Booth. Uh... Tommy Booth's most famous goal, 1969 FA Cup semi-final against at, Everton at, in the last at, minute. At Villa Park. Yes. And the sort of... The, the days of toilet roll, where toilet That's rolls right, were yeah. that picture with with loads of toilet yeah. roll in the uh, brilliant red and black stripes. Throw, why did we throw toilet roll? Cheap, handy, easy to get. Hold of. Getting Franny Lee ready <laughs> for business. <laughs> Correct. Exactly where I was going next. Fantastic. Um, I just want to mention we want to talk about Europe. I know you had a trip to Barcelona, so we want to talk about that. But before we do that, just Stephen Gerrard. Stephen Gerrard. I just want to mention very quickly while we're all together because I think he could well get City's Player of the Year here or Player of the Decade. Because he essentially won us the league last year, and he's going to place, basically guarantee us a top four spaces uh, place as well with his behaviour in the last uh, last week. So discuss. I mean, you know, Look, Gerard has bought out some commemorative stamps. Yeah, haven't they? Mm. With Gerard's stamp on it. Mm. Yeah. He, he, listen, he slipped, won us the league, and his his stamp here now is going to make guarantee us top I four. Think, Come I on. think our manager said that his slip did not win us the league because they were already one nil down at the time, and even if they'd have got um, a point, they wouldn't have uh, caught us. No, I don't think that was true. They weren't one nil down. That was the first goal that uh, when Gerard slipped. No. Yes. Pellegrini's got it wrong. Pellegrini's got it wrong. He's got it wrong then, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. Well, As he has so often this season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> Discuss. What's he got most wrong this season, do you think, Stephen? Well, I don't know whether that's a serious question. Um, he's got plenty wrong. And, you know, that's the system at times, the selection. But I think we've discussed that in previous weeks. So let's talk about who's going to replace him then. Because there's been a lot of press. I've read your, you know, a view from the blue. You've discussed it only this week. You've come up with a few names. Well, I came up with a few names that have been linked to City... 
and the likes of Guardiola and Ancelotti, Simeone, Benitez. And I came to the conclusion that I think we might still have Pellegrini in charge next season because I'm not convinced there's a candidate who's available and an improvement on Pellegrini. I think we'd all jump at the chance if Guardiola was available, but you know he doesn't seem to be unhappy with life in Munich. Ancelotti, he's probably the most interesting at the moment because you never know what's going to happen in, at Real Madrid. But of the others, I don't think our board would go for Simeone because I think he's too like Mancini in he's that just, he's provocative. He's signed a new contract today as well. Yeah, that would hinder it. Um, Benitez is, is hardly the appointment to inspire the fans. Klopp has flirted with relegation this season in Germany. So as much as the idea of a fresh start and a change appeals... I don't think there's any point in changing for the sake of it. And I'm yet to hear someone say that manager would be an improvement on Pellegrini. Well, they were saying Simone, of course, but until, as Steve's rightly said, he signed his new contract today, which yeah. I suppose rules, rules him out, it's fair yeah. to say. Paul? I think uh, of, all, of all the names mentioned, Guardiola I don't think will leave Bayern. I think we've said that. Simeone's just signed a contract. doesn't mean he wouldn't come, but I can't see it. Benitez, as he says, won't, won't inspire the fans. I think he's a decent manager, but he won't inspire me. Um, therefore, that leaves Ancelotti potentially. And if Real Madrid maybe flop out of the Champions League, clearly they're second fiddle to Barcelona in the, in the Spanish League now, having lost on uh, the weekend to them as well. Ancelotti would be an interesting one if he became available. But I, I think I'm with you. I think effectively they'll give Pellegrini to the end of his contract in 12 months or so time. And then they'll be looking behind the scenes, probably discussing with somebody like maybe Guardiola, which would be fantastic, we hope. Uh, and see what happens. But, but what if, say, we don't... Let's just say, we know we're out of the Champions, Champions League now. Let's say we don't make top four. Let's say we don't get in the Champions League next year. I mean, it's a terrible thought, and we don't, we don't believe it's going to happen. And, but let's just say it does for a moment. Steve, does that mean that they would be forced to make that change? I don't think they're forced to do anything, to be perfectly honest with you. I, 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 it's, all, it's all media-based, I think. If, 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 if the club wants to change the manager, they will change the manager. At the moment, there's no sign that the club is intending to do that. A lot of it is media speculation that they might be wanting to do that if we don't achieve anything this year. But I think they'll give them a bit of time. The squad perhaps needs a little bit of a freshen up, and, and, and it may be that actually doing that might lead to, to more success next year, perhaps. Well, that's next on my list, then, in terms of players out and players in. I, I read today that Cristiano Ronaldo was on his way. Just paper talk, I'm sure, but, you know, it's, it's you know... Phil's four minutes on the podcast. Personally, there's no way I could see Cristiano Ronaldo wearing the sky blue of Manchester City. It's just, it would have been like, all right, I've got a lot of respect for Gary Neville now if I'm allowed to say that on this podcast because of his Sky Sports commentary. But it's like saying when Gary Neville was in his red shirt of United saying, Gary Neville, come and play for City. It was never going to happen. But we had loads of players who played for Stratford. There's some players players you could see wearing red and then blue. Like Tevez. Like Tevez, because he didn't have really a great affiliation to United. He was Brian Kidd. Brian Kidd. Well, yeah, but he played for several teams as well. I mean, you go back over the years. There's been lots, but you can't. There's certain players. Maybe I'm wrong. There's certain players you just cannot see trading blue for red or red for blue. Not my, my view. But he's not playing for. He's not playing for Stratford. Still, he's playing he's, somewhere else. Uh, I still think it's in his bloodstream. I'm, I'm not sure he would actually make. I don't. I don't really know how we would play him. To be perfect, would he not get in? You wouldn't get in. No, no. Not good enough. No, not good enough, Stephen. No. Well, if Scott Sinclair can't get in the squad, then I'm not sure what hope Ronaldo has got. But seriously, I don't see why he would leave Real Madrid to join no. us. No. Because he's getting paid an absolute fortune out there. He's competing 
for the Spanish title every season. He's competing for the Champions League every season. And I'm sure we would pay him very well, but it's just, I think it's a bizarre rumour. But one of the things we've talked about over the weeks is we're, it's an old squad now. Stuart would give yeah. us the exact age in months and days of exactly how old we are compared to every other team in the yeah. Premier League. So we need a bit of a clear out, and we're kind of getting to that end of the season, those sort of discussions, aren't they? You know, only a handful of games to go, and uh, who's going then? I mean, we, we need to have a clear out. We need some fresh blood. We need some... We're talking about Arsenal. There's a couple of English lads at Arsenal who we've got our eye on, apparently, and I don't know whether this is paper talk. You read us just the same as what I read, but... Well, who's, who's for the exit door then, Who's Steve? for the exit door? I think Dzeko, probably, and potentially Jovetic, I would say, from, from up front. In the midfield, I think Milner will probably go because I don't think we'll actually satisfy what he wants from a contractual perspective. That's not necessarily what I want. Lampard is likely to go to America this year. Um, I can't really see too many other changes, really, from a... Yaya... Possibly. Possibly. I think so much will hinge on what Yaya does. I'd agree yeah. about Dzeko, Jovetic, Milner, yeah. Lampard. But if Yaya stays and you know, pretends that he's committed for another season, then you don't need to probably go out and spend £50 million on a new midfielder. Yeah. Whereas if he goes, I think that changes your priorities in the summer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You, you, need, you need a Yaya. If Yaya doesn't, you need a Yaya replacement. Question. Do we want Yaya to stay? No. I, I'm not convinced. He's had some fantastic games. He's a big match player, scored very important goals. But for me, he's not 100%, 100% of the time. I'm it's going, when he feels like it. I'm going, no, it wasn't a corner. We didn't score from a corner. And I'm saying, no, we don't want Yaya. I'd sell stay. Yaya if we could get 15 to 20 for him, which I think we could do. I'd sell. Steve, selling, keeping Yaya? Mm, keep. Oh, keeping? Sell him. You're on your own. And, and the other one that I'd look to maybe offload is Nasri. He's had a really disappointing season this year. After the good one last season, he's a, he comes good season, bad season, good season, bad season. I think maybe let him go as well, get a bit of money for him. The squad needs freshening up. So, so who, so who do we bring in then? I'm not so I'm not so well versed in all the players that are available because I don't look around all the different leagues. If we've got a, the talk of Wilshire, I'm not convinced. Too many injuries. Uh, Barclay at Everton. Good Bible depends whether you get him for the right price, and they'll probably stitch us up on that. Sterling's in there as well from Liverpool. They're struggling to necessarily get the right. There's lots of players mentioned. Was Gadetti knocking him in at, at knocking him in at Celtic? Of course, he Scottish could come back. Premier League versus English Premier League. There's a little bit of a difference there, isn't there? I'm not saying he's not good enough. I don't know because I don't follow Scottish football. But scoring for Celtic week in week out isn't the same. Pogba. I like the look of Pogba. If Yaya went, I think that would be a good buy if we could afford it. Because he, I think he would be quite highly priced. Is that an issue for us? Do you think? Probably not. But then the thing is, any player that's actually worth a decent amount of money, we get linked with on the back of the fact that we're probably one of the few clubs in Europe that can afford. And the other thing is, Real Madrid and Barcelona and other teams will be in for Pogba as well. And if he's got a choice of going to Real, Barca, or City, I'm afraid we we're not up there yet. Let's be honest, we are not a top top tier team. Anybody caught your eye, Stephen? Not particularly. I think the issue is also English players because. Mm. We've, yeah. Next season we'll have Hart and we'll have Clichy and Boyata still has another year on his contract. But Lampard will go and we think Milner will go. And we'll probably keep Richard Wright as a third-choice keeper purely because of his nationality, which is a sad state of affairs. So the English players is a major issue. But then you look at, at who there is. Sterling is 
is the one who you know, is probably the best English player feasibly available. Barkley, I haven't been convinced at all this season. I know that Chelsea looked at him and turned him down. Wilshire, again, you've got so many injury problems there. There's a, there's a big issue around English players, and at some point we'll have to pay 10, 15 million over the odds for an average English player who will clutter the squad. They are overpriced, after all, English players. And if uh, what's-his-name gets his way, it'll get even worse, won't it, with more English players in the, in the squads. That's going to make it even more difficult for lots of teams. All right, well, before we go, um, one last issue, which is Barcelona. And, uh, Stephen, you, uh, you flew off and uh, did your tour slightly different from a year ago, I believe. Slightly different way of doing it. Yeah, last year was... I went on the there and back Thomas Cup from Manchester in a day. So you had all day in Barcelona. The weather was glorious. It was all very new and exciting to go to the new camp and, and play Barcelona. Whereas this year wasn't as sunny and nobody travelled expecting to win. You speak to fans the whole day and and everyone was happy to be there, obviously, but there was no expectation. And I think what fans wanted to see was the team have a go. It didn't matter if we lost 3 or 4-0, but just to to have a bit of passion and fight and see where some controlled aggression took us. And I think the disappointing thing is that we didn't see that. It was just very flat. And Barcelona were brilliant, don't get me wrong, fantastic, and it's a privilege to watch them. But I don't think City showed what we're capable of. And I think you were there a year ago as well, but you didn't go this year, I don't think. No, I wasn't there this year, but I, I think it was a moral victory this, this time around, this match, in that we didn't have a player sent off. Four times, three players sent off in the previous three matches, so great performance. And talking great performances, I know you want to talk about Joe. You being an ex-keeper yourself, you's uh, Joe outstanding. Hart, absolutely outstanding performance to the point where Messi just knew that he wasn't going to beat him um, in that game, really. And I think for Messi to come out and give him the plaudits after the game that he did, you, you know that Joe's had a really, really good game there. So I think one on one, I don't think we've got there's a better keeper in this country actually one on one. Totally agree. Uh, international break coming up so we're not on next week uh, anybody give a shit about England particularly nope, nope. just hope nope. that Milner doesn't get injured indeed yeah and then we've got uh, two away games uh, we've got Palace away and then Stretford away on the 6th of April and 12th of April should we just do uh, 30 seconds on each then Steve Palace away uh, Palace Stratford away, away. In- interesting game Palace have actually upped since Pardew has been there they've actually sort of upped their game a little bit so I think that'll probably be quite a tight affair to be fair I, I think we'll probably just nick it um, Stretford away wow well, you know they're just Stretford aren't they it'll be a tough game at Palace tougher than uh, playing Stretford I think we'll we'll probably just about maybe beat Palace you, you never know and Stretford we've won three games on the run there so no reason we can't make it four yeah I think agree with both of those comments that Palace will be a tight game and for all the doubts about the effort and the motivation of our squad this season I think what we do have is a group of players who understand what it means to beat United and I don't think we can look past that so United are improving it's taken them about seven months to get to average but I'd back us to go there and take the three points On that note Huge thanks to my three guests. That's Stephen Allwise from A View from the Blue. We've got Steve Cox and Paul Denby. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.